CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, bringing the world's top experts right to you. Introducing your hosts, Matt Bodner and Austin Fable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with over 5 million downloads and listeners just like you in over 100 countries. I'm your co-host, Austin Fable, and today we have an absolutely incredible guest who's been on the show in the past. You know him, you love him, Tal Ben-Shahar. This week, we focus on the topic of happiness and how you can train yourself to live an overall happier life. We dig into the science behind some of the habits and routines that have been proven to improve your overall mood, satisfaction, and help you deal with tough emotions by allowing yourself to be human. But before we dig in, are you enjoying the show and the content we put out each week for you? If so, there are two incredibly easy yet tremendously impactful things you can do for Matt and I. First, leave us a quick five-star review on your podcast listening platform of choice. It helps others like you find the show and learn from all of our incredible guests. Next, go to our homepage at www.successpodcast.com and sign up for our email list today. Our subscribers are the first to know about all the comings and goings of the show, but you also have access to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Specifically, when you sign up, you'll get our free course we spent a ton of time on, appropriately named How to Make Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. Are you on the go? Maybe working out? On a walk outside? Good for you. Sign up for our email list easily just by texting the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222, and you'll be signed up today. If you haven't already, check out last week's From the Archives episode with Chris Voss. We dig into how you can learn to negotiate like a pro and share with you the three words you can use in any conversation to pull more information and context out of anyone in any conversation. Now, back to this week. On this episode, we interview an incredible guest, Tal Ben-Shahar. Tal Ben-Shahar is the founder of Happiness Studies Academy. He's an author and a lecturer. He taught two of the largest classes in Harvard University's history, and today, 
Tao consults and lectures around the world to executives in multinational corporations, the general public, and at-risk populations. The topics he lectured on include leadership, happiness, education, innovation, ethics, self-esteem, resilience, goal-setting, and mindfulness. His books have been translated into more than 25 languages and have appeared on the bestseller lists around the world. Now, without further ado, here is our interview with Tal. Tal, welcome back to the Science of Success. Thank you, Austin. Great to be back. So tell us, what have you been up to since you last came on the show? I mean, it was 2016 last time we had you on, which seems like a lifetime ago. You know, I can only imagine that your work has become even more popular and sought after and really more impactful and relevant given the times we're in the coronavirus. Is that fair? Yeah, a lot has happened, you know, over the last four years and especially the last four months. Strange times we live in. And, you know, many people have been saying to me ever since the COVID, they've said, Tao, is happiness even relevant today? You know, one of my friends went as far as saying, hey, shouldn't we quarantine happiness until this is all over? And my answer to that is no, we shouldn't. I think it's more important than ever because happiness is not just, or the field of happiness studies is not just about helping us in good times. It's also about helping us better deal with the difficulties and hardships. In other words, it's about strengthening our immune system. That's a really great analogy, especially in the times we find ourselves in. So let me ask you, how do we become happier? How do we find happiness? And does it change when we're experiencing times like we are now when everyone's stuck in their houses? You know, I know from our last interview, one of the big, big ways to find happiness is through community and especially having deep, meaningful relationships. How do we become happier when we're being told to quarantine, we're not really able to go out and be in big groups like we once were? Yeah, you know, so I think one of the most important elements or the first steps would be about managing our expectations. So, you know, if my expectation is to be happy all the time or to feel joyful and experience a positive high, then I'm setting myself up for failure, for frustration and for unhappiness. So we need realistic expectations, and that means realizing that there'll be ups and downs, realizing that during difficult times, things are difficult, that we'll experience in all likelihood more anxiety and more frustration and more painful emotions during times when we don't have the opportunity to interact with our friends as we did before, when there is more or there is less certainty in terms of what the future brings, whether it's health-wise or in terms of the economy. So things are difficult, and the first step is really embracing, accepting the fact that it's difficult. The next step is then doing something about it. But the next step can only come after we embrace, accept. That's interesting, too. That kind of ties into how we deal with difficult emotions, right? So it's not about fighting the emotion. It's really about embracing it, which is really, you kind of bring that emotion in, you embrace it, and then you do something about it. But I was curious, you know, after listening to our last interview too, what does that look like exactly? How do we do something about it, whether it be embracing a difficult emotion Mm -hmm. or finding happiness in these times? So just two things, you know, the first thing is to understand there are two levels of suffering, two levels of pain. The first level is the one that's natural. You know, we all experience difficult moments or difficult days. And as a result of doing something or not doing something or seeing something, experiencing, this is natural. We all go through it. This is the first level. The next level is the level that comes when we reject 
the first level. So let me give you a personal example. Let's say I would say to myself, okay, Tal, you shouldn't be anxious during COVID-19 because you're an expert on happiness. You should be able to deal with it better. Well, immediately when I say that, I increase my levels of suffering. That is the second level. In contrast, if I accept and embrace and say, okay, it's part of being human, this pain, then I experience the first level, but I don't build on that. I don't create a second level. Now, how do I accept, embrace the first level? There are a few ways. One is to shed a tear. Crying has been instilled in us, whether through evolution or through our creator, in order to help us deal with difficult experiences. So shedding a tear can be helpful. And talking about what we're going through, that's one way of what I've come to call the permission to be human. Talking to our best friend about it or to a therapist or to a coach or to our partner. Opening up. Uh, that's the second way. The third way, which is very accessible, is writing about it. There's a lot of research coming out of various universities around the world today showing the powerful impact of journaling. So when we journal, when we write down things that hurt us, that we're struggling with, that in and of itself is, first of all, acknowledging and embracing what we're going through. And what it does is it helps us to overcome it. Now, specifically, I'll just share one study. This was done by Jamie Pennybaker, University of Texas, where he got people to write a journal for 20 minutes on four consecutive days about their most traumatic or difficult experiences. So a total of 80 minutes over four days. They could write about the same thing every day, or they could write about four different experiences. As a result of that journaling exercise, initially, anxiety levels went up. However, Within a week, it went back down and went down beyond its original state, and it lasted even a year later when they measured their levels of anxiety. So airing what we're going through, accepting it, whether it's by writing, by talking, or by crying, that's an important way of dealing with hardship. It's a really interesting point there, too, how the anxiety initially spiked. It's kind of like your nervous system's initial reaction to writing all this down or talking about it is to fight it, is to get more anxious and to build a bigger wall. But then through time and kind of exercising that muscle, you get past it and there's kind of a release that then frees you from this anxiety. Yeah, it's exactly that. You know, And Jamie Pennybaker, when he first did the study, he wrote about it and said that he was really concerned initially when he saw that spike in anxiety. You know, He wanted to do good, not to hurt people. However, there is no way around it. You know, we need to go through it in order to overcome it. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm curious too, just how does one begin this journey? Because personally for me, I have a real bad habit of letting things build up, which I guess is me not facing these difficult emotions. If I'm sad about something, if I'm anxious about something, it doesn't affect me at all. And no one around me can even tell. No one is walking, coming up to me saying, hey, you look sad or hey, you look anxious. But then after a few months or a few weeks, depending on what it is I'm dealing with at that moment, I'll just break down and I'll cry. Or for example, I was really stressed out about a bunch of things a couple months ago and I was trying not to let it affect me. And then I was working out and all of a sudden had a panic attack and I'm on the floor breathing, right? So if I want to start accepting these things as they come and having sort of mini releases and mini acceptance Mm. experiences as opposed to letting them build to where it's something that, you know, isn't super detrimental, but it's like a balloon bursting because it's too filled with water. How do I begin to release the pressure over time and kind of start implementing that? Yeah. So one thing to keep in mind is that it's okay even if we don't release it constantly. So one of the benefits of a panic attack is the body's, the mind's, the heart's way of saying, okay, enough, I'm going to take over for a while and let's release it. And that's a good thing. That means that something's working well, not that something is not working well. Having said that, it is possible to institute certain rituals and habits that will help us release that stress, sort of like a valve that you constantly release a little bit of the pressure, and that will contribute to our happiness and well-being. So what are these things? For example, once a week or once every other week, just set aside 30 minutes to write a journal. And during that time, write about anything that comes to mind. And very often, that will be an opportunity for release. You know, something else, people who have someone to talk to, and you know, they regularly, you know, take a time out or time in with their partner or with a friend or with a therapist. And just talk and just let it out. You know, the nice thing about just talking or just writing is that we don't know what will come out. You know, we free associate, as Freud urged us to do. And by doing that, each time we're releasing, thus preventing the ultimate explosion. But even if we do get to the explosion, it's not necessarily a bad thing, usually. Yeah. And it's never been too aggressive, I guess. I mean, when I say panic attack, that might even be an overstatement. It was just kind of like a quick heartbeat. And it was something that kind of scared me a little But I do think it's nice. And like, I think society is told, especially men that, you know, crying and kind of doing a lot of these things isn't really acceptable, or it's not manly enough. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's one of the healthiest things. And I want to explore that too, because I think, you know, I say that I like, guess the crying example, I think is a little more It's not masculine to cry, but I do think this idea of accepting that you are human has really become a lot harder for both genders and everyone in kind of the new age of social media where we're always sharing Mm -hmm. with each other. We're sharing our best selves. And I think for everyone, it's getting a lot more difficult to admit your faults. It's getting a lot more difficult to cry, to talk about struggling because all we see every day is perfection, which is just a snapshot in time from people's real lives. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, what people share on social media, and again, they share it because they want others to see, but they also share it because this is what they want to remember, is when things went well. So you go on social media and you see everyone is having an amazing time. Everyone is in an incredible relationship. Everyone is on this breathtaking vacation. Everyone loves what they do, love their life. Everyone except for me. 
And then, of course, what happens is that I feel down and depressed. However, I don't want to be the only one to not to be doing well. And I also contribute a snapshot of my life that seems perfect. So what I'm doing is I'm contributing to the great deception that is responsible for the Great Depression. And the question is, what do we do about it? So what we need is to find an outlet, an outlet to be around people who care about us, people we care about, where we can be and they can be authentic. Yes, we will feel better when we hear or see that other people are struggling too. And we won't feel better because of schadenfreude, because we find pleasure in other people's misery. No, it's because we feel normal when we see other people struggling as we do. We don't feel like we're a negative exception to the rule. So sharing with others, having these islands of sanity, This is exactly what those authentic interactions are. Islands of sanity in our life is so very important. And as you say, it's especially today when social media depicts a distorted view of society. I think it's so important to find those people to speak with. It's interesting. I've always had a group of friends that I feel comfortable kind of opening up around. But I think there's also something to be said for being the person that someone else is opening up to. There's a certain happiness factor that comes with knowing that another human being is willing to be themselves around you and to bear their hardships with you. What role does making other people happy or being that person that someone can talk to play in our own happiness? Yeah, you know, this falls under a much broader and very important category of generosity or giving or kindness. One of the most powerful ways of increasing our own happiness is contributing to others' happiness. In fact, over the past few years, there's been an increase in research on giving, on generosity. And for example, we know that beyond basic needs, money doesn't really contribute to happiness. Yes, of course, money is important if we are to have enough food and shelter and other basic needs. However, beyond that, money doesn't really contribute to happiness unless we use it wisely. And one of the ways of using it wisely is actually helping other people. So giving contributes to happiness, but it's not just money. It's not just material giving. It's also giving of your time or lending an ear you know, Anne Frank, back in the 1940s, wrote, you can always, always give something, even if it is only kindness. And giving kindness, of course, contributes to the other's well-being as well as to our own. In other words, it's a win-win. And it's a win-win-win, in fact, because when other people observe kindness, they are more likely to be kind themselves. In other words, it's contagious. Yeah, it's such a powerful tool. I mean, you know, it's no secret when you're kind to somebody, when you show generosity, when you show gratitude, you really feel better than you did before. But it's kind of like, to use another analogy, it's almost contagious, right? It's like it spreads, like one act of kindness can then birth hundreds. Exactly. And over the past few years, I've been putting a lot of work into the relationship between happiness and morality. Because very often people, when they hear that there is a field of happiness studies or positive psychology, they would say, yeah, you know, this is just the luxury for those who can afford it. Or they would go even further and say, yeah, but you know, what's more important is morality, you know, being a good person rather than being a happy person. 
And this distinction is unhelpful, unhealthy. Why? Because we have a lot of research showing that if you increase levels of well-being, of happiness, you actually become more moral, meaning happy people are more likely to help others. If you increase happiness levels by 3-4%, you automatically increase generosity and kindness in that person. And it works both ways, as I mentioned earlier, because if you act kindly, you increase happiness. So potentially you can create an upward spiral between being good and being happy. Because every time you contribute to other people, you contribute to your happiness. When you contribute to your happiness, you're more likely to contribute to other people. So there are two sides of the same coin, happiness and morality, the ethical and the practical. Yeah, I love that correlation. I also think it's important to note, too, that, as you said, I completely reject the idea that happiness and morality is something for those that can afford it. I mean, if you interact with human beings, whether it be virtually or in person these days, I mean, you always have the tools to make someone happier, to express gratitude and to do something for someone else that's going to boost their happiness and then thus their morality, which if we all behaved that way, we'd be living in a much different society. Oh, big time. You know, one of the stories that really had an impact on me came from my mom. She was in the supermarket and the supermarket was packed and she was standing and getting something from one of the counters. And she saw a young woman in her 20s talking to one of the employees in the supermarket and really asking him questions and visibly making him feel good about himself. And then she did the same thing when she saw my mom. She smiled at her and asked, how are you? And then standing at the teller, my mom was just behind her. She was just making other people feel good. And my mom said, you know, I met her for 15 minutes. In those 15 minutes, she contributed to so many people's lives who then, because of the upward spiral and the win-win nature of kindness, will then go do more kind things for others who will then hopefully affect others and so on and so on. You know, the butterfly effect. And the impact of those 15 minutes were remarkable. And ever since I heard this story, and again, coupled with all the research on kindness, I've introduced an exercise which I encourage my students, my kids, myself to do is take 15 minutes a day where you're extra kind to other people. 15 minutes. You know, you're always kind, great, but 15 minutes to be extra kind and, you know, listen more intently or give something to others or spend a little bit more time or ask a question or provide help in some way for 15 minutes. And those 15 minutes, imagine if we all did it or more of us did it, what an impact that could have on society as a whole. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's one of those things too. I recently have been experimenting with something similar to that. But when you really start to pay attention to how kind you want to be, and you can even go over the top. I mean, obviously we're not trying to be sarcastic here, but it really makes you think about what just a small couple of tweaks and how you interact with people, not only does it make the other person feel good, but also, I mean, you mentioned with your mom, she noticed this person's behavior. It makes you more likable. People want to come and be around you more. So not only by being kind, are you increasing the chances that those you're kind to are going to be kind to others, but you also increase the chances that that person's going to want to spend more time with you and come back and learn more about you as well. Yes, it's more likely to be reciprocated. And as a result, you're likely to be kinder and then so on and so on. You know, as you're talking, Austin, I'm thinking about a general principle 
that we see across the field of happiness studies, and that is of the upward spiral. So for instance, you know, there's this research showing that if you keep a gratitude journal as Oprah urged us to do, even for two, three minutes a day, that actually makes you happier, physically healthier, kinder, more successful. And many people have asked me, you know, how is it that in two minutes, three minute intervention of gratitude or what I've just suggested, you know, the 15 minute uh, kindness, you know, how can that make a real difference when, you know, we live 24 seven? And the answer is because each one of these interventions, even the two or three minute intervention potentially starts an upward spiral. For example, let's say I do my gratitudes in the morning when I wake up. And as a result of it, I'm feeling a little bit better. And as a result, I'm smiling a little bit more. Now, other people will smile at me if I smile at them. So they smile at me, I feel even better. And I have a little bit more energy, so I will work better. And consequently, my mood will improve. And I'll have a better interaction with my partner later on during lunch and on and on. And the thing is that it can often start, this upward spiral can often start with two minutes or with 15 minutes of doing something which is good, good for you and good for others. Unfortunately, the opposite can also be the case. There's also research showing that if we expose ourselves to negative news in the morning, then that can lead to a downward spiral. So what we need to do is actively introduce short rituals throughout the day that potentially can lift us up. See, that's why I love your work so much. I mean, the idea of the upward spiral, it's so easy and it's something that everyone in the world should hear. And I want to get into that too here in a second, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, let's dig into some of these short rituals. What are some of the things that we can do to make sure we're a part of this upward spiral, not the downward spiral? Yes. So one of them is, again, the gratitude journal. Another one, which this is more recent research, is keeping a journal about things that you are looking forward to. So for example, you know, you wake up in the morning and you write three things and you look forward to meeting with a friend or having lunch, or you're looking forward to the end of the day. It actually doesn't matter, but three things you're looking forward to. And people who do that on a regular basis are actually not happier. However, they're less pessimistic, they're more resilient and less likely to experience sadness throughout the day. So looking forward journal. Another thing, you know, regular physical exercise and not just exercise, simply moving. So this is research that came out of the University of Cambridge, England, showing that people who move at least every 30 minutes or so are not just healthier. You know, more and more doctors are talking about sitting as the new smoking because it's that unhealthy. By the way, I think they're exaggerating, but only a little bit. So it's not just healthy to walk around for our physical well-being. It's also healthy for our mental well-being, psychological well-being, getting up and taking a few steps every once in a while. And then, of course, exercising regularly, you know, at least three, four times a week. And by the way, during difficult periods like now, exercising even more than we did before because anxiety levels are higher. Another thing that can help us enter an upward spiral, and it's a good thing in and of itself, is learning. Again, relatively new research came out showing that curiosity is associated with longevity. In other words, people who ask many questions, who learn, who are curious about the world, actually live longer. So it doesn't just contribute to our psychological well-being. Once again, physical well-being is impacted. So learning, constantly learning uh, new things. 
and then engaging, having either very long conversations or shorter conversations with other people and having them not while checking our messages at the same time or having something in the background. Real focus, one-on-one conversations, these contribute a great deal to our overall happiness. I can definitely attest to all of those. I'm one of those people where if I don't get at least 30 minutes, and like you said, it doesn't have to be like CrossFit or, you know, long distance running, but even just moving around, it really gets the mind moving and overall the day is just better. And one of the things that I've been trying to experiment too with my wife is sitting down and just putting the phone away, turning the TV off and just having a conversation. I mean, it's shocking. If you consider the amount of time that you're interacting with someone, but you're not fully interacting, it can end up being like 99% of your life because yeah, you're talking and you're interacting, you're watching a TV show, you might, oh, hey, by the way, so-and-so did this today. But it's almost weird too, because if you don't exercise that muscle, when you're around someone and you have 100% of their attention, it can almost be intimidating. It can become strange when you actually notice someone is paying attention if you don't exercise that kind of muscle or that sort of conversation and interaction. There are so many benefits to what you just described now beyond the connection that you're making, beyond the fact that this is a place where you can give yourself the permission to be human, beyond the fact that you are being kind, you're being generous, you're being thoughtful, and that contributes to well-being. Beyond all that, there is also the element of mindfulness. You know, when people talk about meditation, they usually mean sitting down cross-legged and focusing on the breath or being in a yoga posture or something like that. Well, you know, meditation is present moment awareness. In other words, if you are with your partner or friend and you're being present, that's a form of meditation with all the benefits thereof. And there are so many benefits to meditation. So on every level, everyone wins when there is a real intimate focused interaction. Amen to that. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. 
So I want to dig in. You've got a really, really incredible project you're working on, Happiness Studies Academy. But before we do, there's one last thing I'd like to discuss before we jump into that. You've said something in the past, and I saw this on a YouTube video that you were featured on, and I forget which one, but I'll link it in the show notes. But you were going through these kind of four ways you can find happiness. And one of them that really struck me was find meaning in your everyday activities. And you went on to sort of describe the difference in the meaning in life versus the meaning Mm -hmm. of life. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I think that subtlety is so missed when people start to look at themselves and their happiness and what life really is to them. Yes, good. So this is a very important distinction that was made by Viktor Frankl. He's the author of A Man's Search for Meaning. And, you know, meaning of life is about finding the reason for being in a sense. Some people have it and they know they find it in their religion or they find it in the place where they're working or creating sustainability or ending poverty, you know, the meaning of life. But it's very difficult to find. And even people who do find it, it's not enough to sustain the day to day or it usually is not enough to sustain the day to day work of living. And therefore, what we need is not just the meaning of life, we need the meaning in life. And the meaning in life is about identifying small activities, small interactions that are meaningful for us. And we can find it almost anywhere in our lives. You know, so an investment banker can find it, a priest can find it, a teacher can find it, a person volunteering in a homeless shelter can find it, because whatever we do, potentially we're impacting, influencing other people, the world. And it's almost like we have an inherent meaning finding system that all we need to do is we need to switch it on. And by switching on, I mean, we need to be aware of it, conscious of it. You know, it's somewhat related to what you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, we can be with someone. We're watching television at the same time and we're not really on. We're not switched on. Or we can be focused on that other person and be with them. The same with meaning. You know, we can need a life of meaning, sort of, or we can put our focus into whatever it is that we're doing and identify the meaningful elements. So, you know, very often people in a workplace are asked to write their job description. And what I do with my clients is I ask them to write their calling description. Meaning, what is it about your work, your day-to-day, whether you're a banker, whether you're a teacher, whether you're volunteering, or whether you're a parent, what is it about your day-to-day work that is meaningful to you? Where are you making a difference? What are you doing that is important? And by becoming aware of it, by highlighting it, you're actually finding more meaning in life. It's very much related also to gratitude. Why do we do the gratitude exercise? It's to shed a light, to highlight those areas that we can be grateful for, that are worth celebrating and appreciating. And by doing that, we benefit. We benefit individually and we benefit as a society if more and more people do it. It's crazy to me just hearing you talk. I mean, really, a lot of this can be boiled down. I don't want to oversimplify, so pardon if I am, but it really comes down to just paying attention. A lot Mm -hmm. of times we don't pay attention to the meaning and what we're doing. We don't pay attention to our partners or our friends or our loved ones. And if we just kind of slowed down to really pay attention, a lot of that meaning, a lot of that gratitude, a lot of that connection would find us. Yeah, it's so much the case. You know, my mentor is uh, Professor Alan Langer. 
And Alan Langer is one of the leading scholars in the world on mindfulness. And what she talks about is not the traditional mindfulness, again, sitting down and meditating, even though she's obviously not against that. She's talking about mindfulness as, and I quote, drawing novel distinctions drawing novel distinctions. And, you know, if we can go into an interaction with our partner, a partner, you know, we've been with for a long time even, and say, okay, you know, how can I really be mindful of what they're saying now? Because it's different from anything they've said before, or at least in some ways. Maybe I can discern a different way that they're looking at me or that I see them. Then we're drawing novel distinctions or walking along the same street that I've walked for the past 15 years. What novel distinctions can I draw? Can I identify? In other words, as you say, how can I pay attention to what's going on around me? Because, you know, as the saying goes, you know, it may be the same step in the river, but it's never the same river. I love that. That is such a great saying. I've heard something similar about staring into a fire, but it's just so true. And Tal, thank you so much for the time and really for the work you've done. I mean, your entire career, I think it's work that everyone needs to know and everyone needs to pay attention to and learn and study. And so in that vein, I know that you are launching a new class of the Happiness Studies Academy on October 5th. Tell us what is Happiness Studies Academy? What got you to start it? And what kind of tools and content can students expect? I mean, I think it's extremely important. Tell us what you've been working on. Yes. So just a few years ago, actually around the time when we spoke last, a question came to mind. And the question was, how is it that there is a field of study for psychology, which is my field, and geography and history and biology and economics and you name it, and there is no field of study for happiness? Yes, there is a positive psychology, but that's just the psychology of happiness. What about what philosophers like Lao Tzu and Aristotle had to say about happiness? Or literary geniuses like Marian Evans and Shakespeare had to say about happiness? Or theology? Or neuroscience? Why isn't there a field, or rather an interdisciplinary field of study that brings together all that so many smart people throughout history had to say about the good life. And I resolved then a few years ago to help create a field of happiness studies. And towards that end, we created the Happiness Studies Academy. And right now we're offering a certificate program, which is a year-long program that brings together what the greatest psychologists had to say and philosophers and theologians and neuroscientists and economists. And we bring it all together in order to answer two questions. The first question is, how can I increase my levels of happiness? The second question, how can I help others increase their levels of happiness? And it's relevant whether it's for you know parents or coaches or therapists or business people or teachers. Um, it's relevant because happiness is important for all these areas, for all those fields. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What comes to mind for me is this would be an incredibly powerful tool for teachers, people especially that are dealing with students. Well, nowadays, given what's going on in the world, obviously it's more needed than ever. But I feel like the curriculum that you all run through really should be something taught in schools. But if not in schools as curriculum almost a prerequisite for those that will be helping mold the minds of the future. Indeed. And, you know, one of the things that we are developing now is a curriculum for school. So for first grade all the way up to 12th grade. 
because you're absolutely right. These are important tools, no less important than the three R's, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. These are important tools for students to be exposed to. I couldn't agree more. And it really is something that I think, you know, if I had been exposed to this sort of thing when I was in second grade, third grade, I think it would have saved me some painful years, you know, and I mean, I learned from the pain, but I think that understanding all of this at an early age really can set the foundation that would help mitigate and cut down some of the medication, the negative thoughts, the things that we kind of expect people to go through in their teenage years. I mean, I have a two-year-old daughter right now, and I was having the conversation with my wife about oh, you know, the end of middle school is tough. Like it was always a tough time for me. Like I was dealing with this, I was dealing with that. But I think if you give people the equipment and the tool set they need at a young age, you can really circumvent a lot of that. Yes. And, you know, at a young age, it's easier to give these tools because their brains are more plastic, more accessible. It's possible, you know, at any age. And yet it's easier early on. So tell me real quick before I let you go, you've been very generous with your time, but the main elements that make up the Happiness Studies Academy, they're spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional. How do you build these into all the content you create at HSA? So basically the whole course is built around these five elements, because if you think about it, happiness comprises a spiritual well-being, which is about meaning and presence and about physical well-being, which is about exercise and recovery and nutrition, of course, and intellectual well-being, which is about curiosity and learning, as well as relational well-being, which of course is about relationship with other people as well as with ourselves. And finally, emotional well-being, which is about dealing with painful emotions and cultivating pleasurable ones. And all these elements are interconnected. And when we think about our life as a whole and integrate these five elements into our lives, that's when we are more likely to fulfill our potential for happiness. Not to be happy all the time, that's not possible, but to increase our quota of happiness. Well, Tal, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for coming back on the show today. You're an open invitation. Anytime you'd like to come back, just feel free to say the word and we would love to have you on. I think your work is extremely important. I'm glad that it's getting out there to the masses and especially the young minds of the world through Happiness Studies Academy. I will note that we do have a link to HSA on our show notes and we've also got a promo code for 10% off. So if you do want to check it out, find that in the show notes. And Tal, before I let you go, I want to give listeners the information. Where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you and get involved if they would like? Great. So the Happiness Studies Academy, that's happinessstudies.academy. We have information for all our courses, for individuals, for organizations. If you're a school and interested in this, that would be great too. Well, Tal, thank you so much for coming back on the Science of Success. Let's make it a little bit less than four years between the next <laughs> time we chat. That'd be great. But you've been so generous with your time and thank you for all the work that you put out in the world. Right. Thank you, Austin. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email.
I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Success.